Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting how hot it has been. Uh, maybe you've seen some things online where people have a picture of snowy winter and say, you missed me yet, kind of a thing. Well, I had something interesting happen. While Marty's been gone, all of a sudden someone was looking through my Facebook feed and had uh, my Facebook page and had found a post that I had made back in December uh, that was celebrating my anniversary. Well, they commented on it, and I thought to correct them, I would just say, well, thank you very much, but that was back in December. Well, that threw it into a bunch of other people's feeds, and we had dozens and dozens of uh, congratulations on our anniversary in July uh, for a anniversary actually is in December, which kind of reminds me of uh, one of Marty's favorite stories that we always watch in December. Uh, it's called It's a Wonderful Life, and you might be familiar with that story. If not, just bear with me, because I'm not going to give you all the details, but for the most part, it's about a man by the name of George Bailey. George is an adventurer, and he wants to go someplace else and get away from the town and that uh, little savings and loan that his dad had started and worked with and, and, and such, and so he was excited about getting done with his schooling and and getting on to doing his adventures. As you know the story, he comes across adversity after adversity after adversity. George came to the, the level of that adversity uh, where he was there to make sure things happened. Just as he was almost getting away, something else would happen. And then you are aware of the fateful time when the, uh, uh, the antagonist, if you would, Potter, who had been a part of the storyline all along, now gets a, a leverage that he'd never had before and an intensity to the point where George was wanting to take his life. This story is not unusual in the sense that it has the uh, protagonist, it has the conflict, it has the antagonist, it has all the things that a good story entails. And maybe you have some stories that you appreciate that have that same kind of storyline where you see someone going through the process of uh, maybe rallying, overcoming obstacles, going against the odds, and then going to the point where it seems like things are going to go well, and then it gets only worse worse. Well, that is what happens for Nehemiah. Remember, it was a big challenge just to try to get out of uh, uh, the, the kingdom that he was in, out of uh, uh, the Babylon area uh, to Persia to get where he needed to be. And so that took a lot of strength and a lot of trust in God and a lot of work with the king at that time. And then to arrive at Jerusalem to work with a group of people, some of which had been sitting around and observing the broken down walls for dozens of years and to rally them together to get working on this wall. And then finally to get to a place where you're seeing progress when the uh, antagonist comes in uh, and that opposition is hit. You probably see this sometimes in your life, right? You got something that you really wanted to do very badly. And so you've worked through the things, you've tried to go through a lot of hoops, you get to the point where, where you're uh, just thinking things are going to come together and then something hits. Maybe for you it might have been COVID. Maybe for you it might have been something at your job. Maybe for you it might have been a health issue. But somehow something came in when you already had gone through challenge after challenge and it almost seems this is just too much at this particular time. 
And so as we look at Nehemiah, I want to look at his situation from a perspective that can help us in our daily walk of dealing with adversity and opposition in the things that we hope to be able to accomplish for God, but also as we consider our responsibility as a church to be disciple makers, to reach the community for Jesus Christ, and to help them become like Jesus Christ. So we'll be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing for us as we work through that. Father, I ask that you would guide and direct me and allow me to be your instrument today. Lord, uh, uh, I thank you for the uh, things that you've done in our life to help us to be available to help here uh, at Calvary Baptist Church. I'm thankful for the things that uh, have come together to make it even more productive I'm thankful for uh, the ways in which you have raised up uh, individuals in this church that have a passion for reaching people for Christ and have a passion for helping them become more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that as we consider this working as a team and and all the work that is talked about in chapter 3, that sometimes things will come in to discourage us or to get in the way or cause us to uh, wonder what is next. And Father, I pray that the principles today will be helpful to us as as we pursue not only the responsibility of being a disciple-making church, but also the pursuit of a senior pastor here. And so I pray that you would... Uh, allow your word to be helpful to us in Jesus' name, amen. I want to draw your attention, first of all, to the sources of opposition. In Nehemiah, it's pretty clear. It says in verse 7 and of chapter 4, and you see some of this in other places, but here it kind of gives us an idea of where, where it's coming from. It says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They were upset at what was going on. You know, sometimes there's not much adversity when we're not doing anything. It seems like it's at the time when we start picking up and trying to be successful that adversity can come into play. And I think that Tobiah and Sanballat and the others never thought that Nehemiah would get that thing off the ground. They knew how stiff-necked and how uh, lazy some of the people in Jerusalem probably were. They probably worked with them individually. Maybe they had influence on them in some fashion. Never would have dreamt that they would get to the place where they're making progress all the way around the wall. But when they saw that, they were very angry. What's interesting is that this statement gives us an idea of not only was it not just... uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, it was quite a force against them, and they were from all directions. I don't know if you have ever felt walled in, that the challenges of life were not just coming from one direction, but seemed to be coming from a variety of directions. Uh, This is what Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem were up against. It wasn't just one foe. It was split between several that were, in a sense, not necessarily on the same side, but you know how the saying is, the enemy of my enemy is my enemy, is my friend. Uh, so the, the idea is that they're willing to work together towards that common goal of Jerusalem from doing what they needed to do. Uh, the sources that Christians have are a little bit different. 
uh, so many passages to highlight in regard to this. But I went to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, when Paul is describing how that we went from death to life, and how that we were now prepared to walk as children of God, he gives us some insight as to who the enemies are in our life if we truly want to walk as a good child of God. And uh, I see them highlighted in this passage. It says in chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Three items I see there. Uh, it is the world and its philosophies and its pressures. Remember, we're encouraged not to let the world squeeze us into its mold out of Romans chapter 12. And then you have the prince and power of the, of this, uh, of the air would be Satan. And then our flesh that continues to work over us. Uh, you can see them in particular areas here where First John 2 talks about the, uh, uh, the, the fact that the world has uh, a great, great competition in our life. And then you have uh, the, the uh, Ephesians passage where he's talking about the armor of God because we're fighting against them. And Peter says that Satan is like a roaring lion wanting to devour us. And then in Corinthians where Paul, dealing with a conflict of his own, with enemies that are trying to discredit him, he talks about his warfare is not with flesh and blood or not with in flesh and blood, but it is in a, a you know, is spiritual in the sense that it is things that God is going to take care of for, for this situation of fighting Satan. And then the final one in James 1, uh, verses 14 and 15, where we are reminded that it is not God that leads us to do evil. He doesn't even mention Satan in there, but he talks about our flesh and how that we battle against our desires. And uh, James brings it up again in chapter 4 and asks, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? We have these enemies, similar to what Nehemiah had, coming from different directions, who try to keep us from being effective. Not effective in building a wall, not effective in rebuilding a city or making a group of people safe in that sense, but of reaching people for Jesus Christ, of establishing a process of not only reaching them for Christ, but helping them become like Christ. These are enemies. We can often think they're someone in flesh and blood, uh, but for the most part, they are things that are motivated by our own flesh, uh, challenges that are done by world philosophy, work of Satan to discourage us in these regards. But let's look at not only the sources, but let's look at the form of opposition. Uh, the first thing that they do is they start out with some insults. You see this back in chapter 2. In this storyline, uh, you know, the uh, Sanballat and Tobiah kind of enter in early. And so you know that they're there. That's what uh, uh, you see many times in a movie or whatever. They introduce the an antagonist early on, but the, you don't know what kind of impact they're going to have. Uh, Nehemiah gives us a taste of what uh, Sanballat's ideas are. It says, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Right away, they're challenging the actual character of Nehemiah and those who are following him. Are you trying to rebel against the king? 
It's not just so much saying, I don't like you, I am going to, and I don't like your plan. It's saying, I don't think you are really honest. I don't think you are really wanting to do what is right. You may claim to be righteous. You may claim to have God on your side, but I think you're just rebellious. And how often Satan wants to do the same thing to us. How often does he come with these jeers or these uh, uh, insults to cause us to doubt our relationship with God? Are, I, you know, is that really how a child of God should act? Are you really walking like a child of God? How often have you heard that in your heart as you've attempted to live for Jesus Christ only to have uh, Satan to, to bring these doubts in regard to that, the insults that come through that? Uh, he also goes on to say, and this is where we pick it up in chapter 4, says, what are these feeble Jew, Jews doing? Not only is it testing of our character, a challenge of our character, uh, even as our person of who we are, feeble, feeble, weak, incapable of doing things, these name-calling taking place. Uh, and uh, he uh, not only talks about their person, but their ability. I highlighted this, this phrase, these two words, will they restore it? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? We've got some tasks ahead of us. Uh, when you consider the responsibility of reaching people for Jesus Christ and establishing a way of reintroducing the ministries that are here after COVID has uh, you know, encouraged us to shut things down, to pursue the pastor that will lead you into this next decade, all these things are, are really huge things. And how often uh, there might be that, uh, that thought that will you? Will you accomplish these things? Can you really get this done? And this is what uh, Sandballot is asking about this. Will these feeble Jews actually get it done? How often Satan wants to discourage us from the responsibility of reaching someone for Jesus, that person that we care about. Well, they won't ever come to know Jesus. Will they ever? And as a result, the continued insults. Tobiah had something to say, and here's what he says. Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I have not had the privilege of holding a fox uh, other than my wife. But, uh, uh, the, uh, the, but the idea is that uh, a fox is this small little animal. But I could imagine it's similar to kind of a little bit chubbier cat. Okay, I'll just put it that way. But the thought of saying that whatever you're working on, all it takes is just a little bit of effort and it'll all go to naught. All this sweat, all this effort, all this noise is all going to come crashing down and it won't take much. I don't know about you, but that, that, that sounds kind of familiar to me when I get in the midst of something that I really want to do for God, uh, that uh, wondering if, is it worth continually doing what we're doing? And uh, is it possible that something that simple could mess things up? Uh, quite frankly, it's, it's been inter interesting as I've worked with churches for some time now that have gone through conflict and difficulties, and it's amazing. It is amazing what the little fox was. 
It's amazing what trampled over that wall of that church and caused it to collapse. I know that there are things that can come in and can devastate the work of decades and decades and decades of a church. But we know that God is able to help us. It's interesting about Tobiah. It'd be very easy to consider him some kind of sidekick of, uh, of Sanballat, but he wasn't. He was as much of a leader as Tobiah as Sanballat was, so that you have these leaders from different areas. So it wasn't just uh, uh, one voice. There's these other voices that are coming in to be a discouragement of insults. A second area of, of this is in the threats. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. It wasn't just a, an issue of providing a threat, uh, uh, providing a uh, insults. That's usually the first place to start. If you, can, if you can say enough words, you can probably discourage someone from going forward. It, it's, it's very easy for us to say that, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but uh, names will never hurt me. How many times have we been stopped because someone has had a very unkind, unhelpful word? And so Tobias and, and, and Sanballat they went with the first strategy. Let's just try to say some words that would discourage them and cause them to quit. Then it got to the point where they wanted to threaten them. Got the, everybody together, and we'll make a plan to ensure that they don't build this wall because we will attack them physically to the point where they won't be able to. And this was understood that they would not just get in the way, not just be a distraction, but they would actually kill them and fight them as in battle. Go to war. The third element that we see come into play, and I've kind of hinted at this as I've talked about the insults, is really the doubt, the internal element, the, the forgetting of what God has challenged us to do, the forgetting of where we are in relationship to God. It says this, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. It's kind of interesting, uh, as, you, as you think about that, you wonder where they got that word, too much rubble. It's kind of the same thing that was being said by the, uh, the ones who were doing the insults. How often the words of someone else sticks in our minds, and it becomes a part of the script we play for ourselves. And this was happening for the dear people there in Judah, as they're starting to say, we will never be able to do this. It wasn't too long ago they were pretty excited about doing this. They were all behind. We will rise up and work, and we will do the work. And Nehemiah gives us an in indicator of what time frame this is. This is at the point where it says they were at half the height of the wall. Now, I tried to figure out how tall that wall was, and I could not figure it out because it has been built so many different times and such. But it, it's just interesting to consider that they were at halfway point. Now, you can think of halfway as we're halfway done or uh, we got halfway to go. You, you know, the half full, half empty, it works for that as well, right? Because when you've got a project and you get to halfway, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm imagining some of you might have some of those halfway projects. 
that there was a lot of excitement when you got started with it and you got to a place where something had distracted or something had discouraged you and so now you've got one, maybe two, maybe ten halfway projects that aren't quite done because halfway is hard. Almost done is good because you get most motivation when it's almost done and we're almost there. Getting started sometimes is hard, but once you get those first bricks laid, it's exciting. Look, we see a wall going up. But then you get to the point where you say, oh, we're halfway there. It's been some years. I haven't run for quite a while. And, uh, but when I did run, uh, I did not do as some people do, have uh, the earphones and listen to inspiring words as you're running, you know, you can do it or whatever, or listen to rocky music or something that kind of, just kind of get, get me motivated. I listened to nothing except for what was going on in my head. And that's not always good, but for me, what it was is I would, I would keep track of how far I was going. And I would get one-tenth of the way and say, I survived one. I got to do nine more. And then I would get, you know, I would do that all the way. And then when I got to the halfway point, I said, I've already done this once. I only have to do it one more time. Uh, And then uh, two-thirds of the way, you know, I've done it twice. Only one more time. You know, just kind of that thought. That's how I kept myself motivated uh, of, of realizing I'm getting close. But I can tell you this, once I got closer to the end of what I was going to run, it was a lot easier. But right around halfway, it was difficult because you are thinking, what, what are the challenges? And as you look at the tasks, and uh, you can look at your church history over the last two years and say, in the last two years, but quite frankly, you have more years than that. Uh, this, has been, this has been a run that has gone on for a long time, and uh, that there are, there are things that have taken place over not just years, but decades And it might feel like you're in the midst of something, and it might feel like it might be too long or too hard. And I encourage you to to continue to uh, avoid being overwhelmed and recognize that the second half might be harder. It might. Because you you realize when they got to that wall, you get half the height. Now you got to go higher. And if you're taking big rocks, you got to lift them, what? Higher. Okay, so the lower, lower part is sometimes easier, uh, and so they were uh, getting to the point where they're discouraged. Uh, they also said this, and our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. There were murmurs going around the different people within the, the project thinking, they're going to kill us, they're going to kill us. And it doesn't take much for negative words to go through and have a great impact. And how important it is to, to, uh, to see those as things that develop fear. Even in verse 12, it says they were warned by others ten times uh, that, they, you know, that, that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And the fear started reigning in their situation. So that's kind of the, the background of what was going on with their opposition. But let's look at some responses and we'll, we'll kind of use the bulk of our time now, is looking at what kind of responses Nehemiah and his people had, what kind of responses we should have to these times of opposition. First of all, we need to trust God. We need to realize that this is God's battle. So often we want to take it onto ourselves and to think that this is all about me or it's just all about us, but it's really all about God. 
And it's about what God wants, but it's also to realize this is what we're fighting for, is that which is, which is God's. Look what uh, he does in this uh, verse 4. Uh, he says this, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back your, their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Uh, here, Nehemiah, after hearing this rebuke, after hearing this uh, accusations in chapter 4, he's quick to turn to God. He's quick to turn to God and he prays a prayer uh, that is showing his passion. Now, it's hard to pick up in the English, uh, but in the Hebrew, uh, he's using two words. That highlighted word despised uh, actually is the word buza in Hebrew, and the word plundered is biza. So he's got this buza biza going, all right? Now, that, uh, uh, in our language, uh, that typically isn't how we uh, kind of show uh, relationship in regard to words. We like to make them rhyme. Uh, so uh, kind of like you would say it this way, maybe, uh, we are abused. Uh, they abuse us, but they're going to be refuse, you know, using a, a rhyming type of thing. Now, not encouraging you when you are praying to God that you rap or anything like that with the rhymes, but, but this shows his emotion in regard to this and a play on words uh, in his request to God. They're trying to despise us, but I pray that you would allow them to be plundered. Uh, and essentially what this is, is is a imprecatory prayer, if you've heard that term before. He's praying like David would, break out their teeth, you know, type of prayers, uh, which didn't really sound too nice. But that's what, that's what David was saying about the enemies, the enemies of God. He says, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger. Here we have the, the provoking of God. Nehemiah is noticing it's not about him. It's not about him uh, being uh, provoked. It's about God being provoked. And he wanted to ensure that as he prayed to God, that he kept that priority in his mind. How often we make what goes on in our life, the challenges in church, the challenges at work, the challenges at home, and make it all about ourselves, about how it's impacting us. And we fail to realize that this is about what are we doing in light of God's glory and God's plans. And Nehemiah was good to look at this from the perspective of these, these people, Tobiah, uh, Sanballat, and the others, were provoking God. Just as Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus, he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Christians. God sees it that way. God sees it against him and recognizing that's against him. Now, I don't think that God is calling us to uh, imprecatory prayers. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, he exhorts us to bless those who curse us, not to curse them back, uh, that we should uh, not make uh, an attempt to be vengeful towards them or that uh, we should actually overcome evil with good. So we know that as believers, it's not our responsibility if someone is treating us poorly to uh, request that really bad things happen to them. Now, 
we can do nice things and we can pray and let vengeance be the Lord's. Uh, we can hope that some uh, coals of fire uh, get put on their head. But our goal is to really hope that they repent. Just like it should have been goal, the goal of Jonah when he sat up on that hill and when Nineveh was repenting, he was sorrowful. Why? Because he didn't understand the concept of God's mercy. And our desire would be to see those individuals that might be making our life difficult, hard, come to repentance and to be free of those things that make them the way they are acting in that situation. And so our goal is not to have imprecatory uh, songs uh, towards or prayers towards other people, but our desire is to pray for them and to reach out to them and maybe do good to them if we can uh, so that God would work. But we have some enemies. We have some genuine enemies. Satan is not one that we need to be careful about in regard to our request to him. He is set for the pit and is nothing wrong for us to say, God, deal with him as you have promised to deal with him. And uh, with our flesh that we would pray, God, help my flesh to change and not be such a uh, problem in my life. Uh, so our exhortation as we trust God, uh, we remember uh, that he is the one that we are trying to uh, honor and glorify. And those things that are going bad are going against him. He says, remember, the Lord who is great and awesome and God, uh, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and God had frustrated their plan. Again, in those situations, Nehemiah is talking about the value of trusting God in this situation. Now, in light of trusting God, Nehemiah kept up with the work. As we, as we, as we look at this, he says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. When distractions come in, it's very tempting to want to get caught up in the distractions. Nehemiah remembered what his goals were, and he continued with them and realized we needed to do some things uh, still. Uh, he says, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. That's that twofold thing, right? We end up having prayer where we recognize the need of God in the situation, but we do the work. He said, I prayed and I set up. There, there were two things involved with that. That It wasn't just you know, let go and let God. There was also a responsibility of, of adjusting and working in this, in this situation. Now look at some of the adjustments that they did. And, and uh, this is in your uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, so I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Uh, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. I see part of the adjustment is that they have new equipment now. When they were originally building the wall, they didn't need shield and spear and all that type of stuff because they weren't thinking about the fact that someone's going to attack them. So they made these adjustments accordingly. But what I think is, is interesting is how they did that together and how it was a, a team effort. Romans, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the whole armor of God. 
and he talks about the shields. And as Paul, I don't know if he was sitting there at, while he was in prison and saw a Roman soldier there with a shield or whatnot, but he knew of how they would use their shields. And they had one shield that I was very intrigued by. It's called a door shield. And the door shield was designed in such a way to where those who were in the army could link them together and make a wall. Uh, they would link this way and they could link on the top this way to protect against arrows and, and such. And so the best use of the protective gear was working together. And so what we have is not only exhortation in chapter 3 of the value of them working together, knowing where their piece on the wall is, what their responsibilities were, and all pitching in to ensure that the work gets done, but even in the battle of recognizing that we are putting on the armor and we are adjusting in that, in that regard. He says this, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way. Uh, they had to carry the burdens of the rock, of the, of the other items, of the timber, etc. But they had to carry them in such a way that they also were able to hold a weapon. That's some adjustments. Now, in our, in our walk as Christians, there are times when we may have to make some adjustments in how we do to be able to deal with the battle that we're in. As a church, we've had to make some adjustments. I am so encouraged by the, the patience and the graciousness that I've seen in the people here at Calvary as we've had to make some significant adjustments because of what is going on in our nation. And uh, those are the types of things that are, that are critical for us to be doing. Uh, so you, you look at this, these adjustments as being important to moving forward and then... The fourth item is rehearsing the values. Uh, first of all, who needs to know these values? He says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people. I think it's important that we know our values as a church. What is it that's important to Calvary Baptist Church? What is it that those core values, what are we here to accomplish? And it's not so much important just for the, uh, the leaders to know, it's also important for the people to know, to know what those things are. And, and uh, Nehemiah rehearsed these values. He says this, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. I emphasize the word your. Ownership. When we think of the battle, whether you're talking about your spiritual battle or maybe there's an area of sin in your life that you find you continually fail and fail and fail with, who are you fighting for? Who are you fighting uh, with uh, to be able to con contact that? Uh, in other words, what is your core? Is God the one directing that? And who is it important enough for you to do this? What is of value to you? He notes their brothers, their sons, their daughters, their wives, their homes. What's a value here? To ensure that we are working diligently to battle against the world, the flesh, the devil, that wants to discourage us from making disciples uh, in our community. Last thing he says, just be alert. He said, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated. Um, divide and conquer. Isn't that what the uh, enemy wants to do? 
Uh, it's important for us to get together. So glad you're here today. But I hope that we do things throughout the week that keeps us from being separated, that we communicate, and that we have lines in which we know that when we are up against a challenge, we have someone that we can talk to about it and be accountable with in regard to the battles that we might have. And he says, we're separated on the wall, far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. There are times when we have allowed Satan to devour us as individuals when all we need to do is sound the trumpet to get some involvement with some of the people in our church, a friend, someone to help us work through that issue. And, and God encourages us to be alert. And we should speak the truth with each other. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking truth in love may grow up together. That we are called in our maturity and in our maturing to speak the truth to one another. And then it says this, half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time that they may be a guard for us by night and by labor by day. He goes on to say, too, that um, they never changed their clothes during that whole time. They were alert. And that's what Peter says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeks, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Some things to think about as we close. We have opposition. In that opposition, let's follow God. In that opposition, let's be steadfast. In that opposition, let's work together. In that opposition, let's be flexible in that opposition, let's remember our values and why we're doing what we're doing in this opposition. Let's be alert and not become distracted by things that do not allow us to do what we need to do. God wants us to have all these in our life. He wants us to, uh, he wants to lead us and he wants us to follow. And as we sing this next song, may that be the, not only the, the desire of our heart, may be true that he is indeed leading us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we close our time together, that as we go our way and we'll be on a distance between us, may we recognize the importance of connecting with one another and knowing that we have the ability to lean on others uh, so that when the opposition comes, when the difficulty we will truly be working together as you've called us to do. Thank you again for your word, and I pray that it will be an encouragement to us in Jesus' name. Amen.